5, 33 through 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, look under your chair. There's a blue Bible there, and you're going to find the passage on page 532. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one. It's our gift to you. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from those men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Jack Felto. Well done. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love this church. My wife and I helped plant this a couple years ago, and the thing you don't know is the people that are going to come. It could be like this is just a long road of suffering of the people that are part of your church, but I love being a part of this Marcia Sillyman, just the people I get to interact with. If you're not a part of this church, just know this is a sweet, sweet place with genuine people aren't perfect, but we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together. So welcome to our church family, and we get to talk this morning about what you talk about on Easter, what Easter is all about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is either a lie that has spread in the most magnificent way ever known to mankind, or it's true. And what happened 2,000 years ago really did change the course of human history. And souls in this room have forever been changed by that. That's that's your options. Easter is either the greatest lie ever or it is true. It's what we just sang. It's living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. It's a lie or it's true. I was doing some research on just uh, lying Uh, biggest lies ever told. And there's actually a competition in England every year. It's been going for over 100 years. The biggest liar competition. Here's the rules. You got five minutes to get up. You can't use props. You can't use scripts. You can't be a lawyer or a politician because you are too skilled in the art of telling (laughs) lies. You just got to be a good old boy or a good old girl. Go to this pub and share your story that you fabricated and convince people of what you've just told. That's the deal. I was looking at some of the past winners This is the funniest winner. 2011 is a guy named Glenn Boylan. Here's his story. He was once involved on snail betting, and he was involved with Prince Charles, and they were in this little cahoots of betting on snails. And Prince Charles convinced him to remove the casing off the snail so it went faster. However, that snail happened to lose in this race because there were some uh, fixed snails that were being pushed along by battery-operated mechanisms that nobody could see. This guy, Glenn, gets up five minutes and spiels, and that's his story to tell. What I'm about to do, I've got 15 minutes or so, which my kids are like, one girl afterwards, younger girl, teenager, she's like, that was a great message. I'm like, because it was short. She's like, yeah. (laughs) So it's short. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Easter. Here's my big idea for us. The claim of Easter is worth looking into. For some of you, you might not be a Christian yet, and that's great, as Xavier said. 
It's worth looking into, but it's even more worthy enough to give your life to. There's three reasons. Two reasons of credibility why I think it's worth looking into and one reason why I think it's worth giving everything you have to this. The statement would be put all your eggs in this basket. Why is Christianity worth it? Two reasons why it's credible and one reason why it's worth your life. So that's what we're doing today. We're in this story which seems random on Easter, but we'll figure out why we're talking. We're in Acts chapter 5 and just get you caught up to speed. Here's where we're at. What's happening in this story? Jesus Christ is a Jewish man. He's a rabbi. He gathers this following because he's teaching amazing things. More than that, he's healing people in miraculous ways. And more than that, he's also starting to make claims that seem to really ruffle the feathers of those in charge. Namely, his claims fall in these two categories. I am God and I can forgive sins, and I alone can forgive sins. And the religious elite step up, and they're like, we've got to kill this guy. This really happened. All this is recorded, whether you're religious or not. This happened. And they choose to put Jesus to death through the Roman authorities who are in charge, and Jesus Christ gets placed on a real Roman cross with real nails placed in his hand and his feet, and he dies a criminal's death. He is placed in a grave. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who's sort of a skittish disciple, not like a gung-ho, like I've got the tats of I follow Jesus, but secretly he's always in church settings, but he's always in the background. He takes Jesus' dead body and he places it in a grave that he purchased. And the Romans, knowing that this thing has to end here, this has got to stop. They place this stone over the grave so that nobody can mess with the body of Jesus and start to make outlandish claims. And he's dead. And Saturday passes and a lifeless body lays in a grave. There's no heartbeat. There's no blood flowing. There's no brain activity. There's no movement. Just a dead man who had made some crazy claims. And then Sunday morning, that dead man takes a breath and walks out of his own grave. And he tells those, his friends who had been closest to him, I told you so. <laughs> and those people do what you would do if you met somebody who predicted their death and their resurrection and then followed through on it. You would go and tell anyone. Everyone. And that's what's happening. The message is being spread. Jesus stays on earth for 40 days. And in that time, he basically gathers a new set of witnesses who see the resurrected Jesus. How did Christianity spread? Through the witnesses. What's the basis of Christianity? All of it rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, died and crucified and raised to life again. But how does it spread? Through people who saw him and then began to spread it. And then fast forward, we're in the book of Acts. That's where we're at now. That message is continuing. And people are still furious. That this man has a claim to some sort of message that used to be their sole claim as the religious elite. And this is where we're at, Acts chapter 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. When they heard this, this Easter message, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up, gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Go outside, let's chat. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up. He claimed to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, another one, Judas the Galilean, not Judas we know of in the scriptures, a different one, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, 2,000 years ago, keep away from these men, leave them alone. 
For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Gamaliel, not a Christian man, religious leader. We don't know what happened with his faith. He's just a wise guy, and he says, listen, here's what I, leave him alone. Here, you got one of two options here. If it's of man, it will fail. And then he gives very real historical examples that are recorded in Jewish writings. Josephus, a famous writer, writes about both these men. Theodos promised people that he was a prophet, and he was going to do amazing things. He was going to lead them out into the wilderness and t- to the banks of the Jordan River, and the water was going to split, and he was going to take them through this, and he was going to lead this great new revolution. The authorities find out about it. They send some horsemen. doesn't take much. They interact with this crew. And most of them are killed. Some are taken in captivity. Theodos, homeboy leading the thing, gets his head chopped off. That, by definition, is a failure if you're trying to start a revolution. <laughs> if it's a man, it will fail. And the other guy, Judas Galilean, a few years later, same thing. They're imposing taxes. <clears throat> and he rises up and tries to get this following. He says he gathers the people. He's even one of the kind of key founders, they think, of the zealot movement. We're we going to do this. We're going to defeat Rome. And the book of Acts says, and he was killed too. If it's like that, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not stop it. Has the message of Easter been stopped? The answer is no. No, it has not. And some of you don't believe it yet, and that's great that you're here. But here's reason number one why you should at least lean in and give it some cred. It has passed the test of time. What do I mean by that? It's lasted a while. Proverbs 17, 19 says this, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts for but a moment. Truth will never be killed off. Lies will fall and fall and fall and fall and fall. What was Theodos telling his people? That he is going to split this river. Lie, it falls. Ponzi scheme is sort of a famous uh, thing we talk about in business and in lying. Charles Ponzi was the first Ponzi scheme. What did he do? He promised people, I'll return your money 50%. Just give me money, and in months, you'll get 50% return. How do you do that? He was lying. He couldn't actually do it. He was using money from all the new sign-ups on the list. He's like sending his kids out like, we need more money, because he takes the new money that gets brought in to give out the payment, because they're not really making a 50% return, because nobody makes a 50% return. <laughs> How long did the Ponzi scheme last? January 1920, Charles Ponzi, I got a plan. August 1920, Charles Ponzi, in jail. (laughs) Truthful lips endure forever, but lying tongue will end. Christianity has lasted a very long time. Christians don't have anything to hide. We're not the only religion that's lasted a while. Just to give you some sort of insight, here's other major worldviews, religions. Hinduism has been going for 3,500 years. Started in India, 1500 B.C. Judaism, Jewish faith. When did it start? If you go back to Moses, it'd be 1500 B.C. If you take it back to Abraham, 2000 B.C. Buddhism starts before Jesus is on the scene. Islam starts 600 years after Jesus leaves. Mormonism, very recently, 1830 A.D., and mostly in the Americas, kicks off. And then Tom Cruise, one of my favorite actors, not a religion guru that I'd follow, but Scientology, 1953, kicks off. How does Christianity rank in terms of standing the test of time? I'd say pretty good. But if you just take Jesus at face value and when he was here and when he left, Christianity is about 2,000 years old. However, that's deceptive because Jesus did not show up on the scene saying, I have something new for you. 
He said, I am the fulfillment of all that is said in the law and the prophets. What law? What prophets? Jewish law. Jewish prophets. He is the fulfillment, the exclamation point. He is the climax of the entire Jewish faith. Everyone who is Jewish should be looking at him saying, this is what we've been waiting for. So when did that start? Well, if you go back to Moses, he's 3,500 years in the making. If you go back to Abraham, which he takes his roots all the way back to, 4,000 years Christianity has been around. Does that prove that it's true? No. But it should make you say, Gamaliel said, if it's of God, you won't be able to overcome it. If it's of man, it will fail. Christianity has not failed yet in terms of generational passing down. Has it passed the test of time? I would say yes. But more than that, here's reason number two. I think it's passed the test of spreadability. You're like, I've never heard that word. Yeah, me neither until I made it up. (laughs) Pastors can do that. What is spreadability, you ask? It's the ability to... Spread. Well done. (laughs) Like, here's a funny example. So when you get married, you basically take all the myths and truths of your family of origin, and you merge them with another. And then the test happens of, like, which of our dads was crazier? And which (laughs) truths are we going to continue on into this clan? The Watts had some stuff to say. The Giffords had some stuff to say. Aubrey and Josh get together. Who wins out in the truth battle? Here's a funny example. I used to shop with my wife, and we'd buy eggs. And I'd always want the eggs that any sane person wants is the extra large eggs. Whatever's the biggest egg, (laughs) buy that one. Because you got small, medium. It's like, why is this even an option? Then you got large, and then you got extra large. Of course, get the extra large eggs. And I'm just like, no, 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 get get the medium eggs. Medium. Every time. Year after year passes. (laughs) I'm like, who did I marry? (laughs) And I'm shopping with her mom. I'm like, all right, we got to get the extra large eggs. She's like, ugh. I'm like, This is where the lie started. (laughs) Tell me about that, Kim. I just, I just think extra, like, those are going to be the weird chickens. (laughs) And they have weird eggs. I'm like, no, they're the greatest eggs from the greatest chickens. All other chickens in these other categories are trying to get to this stage of being the extra large egg. That's a lie, Kim. It's over with. We're continuing on. So the lie of the Gifford family did not make it over into the Watt family to be passed on. That's right. right. Truth is similar. Two plus two is four here. Two plus two is four in Brazil. Two plus two is four in Australia. Two plus two is four in... You get the point. If Jesus is truly who he says he was and did what he said he did, it will be true wherever it goes and it will impact and influence and spread because it's true. How has Christianity spread? I'll say this, better than any of the other religious leaders and their followers. Just to give you a little map, and just a caveat, this is not, purple is Christianity. It doesn't mean every person in Canada, America, Latin America is a Christian. It means what's the dominating religious influence of that place? It would be Christianity. But to give a very modern example right now, that's not even on here. New Age. Where did New Age start? In the UK, four or five decades ago amongst a middle to upper class white culture. New Age spread across the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Americas, and now it resides in what sort of culture? A middle class to upper middle class, mainly white culture. It has not spread beyond its borders. What about Hinduism? It started there in the Indian continent, and it stayed. 99% of Hindus live there. If you find them elsewhere, they're usually people who have migrated. 
That does not mean people don't convert to this. But by and large, if we're just looking at the data and we're like, take our religious brain off and just do math analysis, India has stayed where it started. Buddhism has stayed primarily where it started. 99% of Buddhists are in Asia. China, that other chunk of color there is the non-religious, the atheist. China has the biggest chunk of non-Christian, atheist proclaiming people in the world. What about the green in the middle? That's Islam. Where did Islam start? Muhammad started it in Saudi Arabia, North Africa, and it spread to North Africa and a little bit into the Middle East. And now most of the Muslims you have are in that section. Just a note, just so you know I'm telling the truth. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world, but primarily through birth rate, meaning they actually have kids like Christians and Catholics used to have kids. They're having more kids, so they're spreading. But culturally, they have not gotten far past the two main sort of continent cultural backgrounds they started in. But what about Christianity? Where did it start? With some Jewish poor fishermen in the Middle East speaking a language none of us speak, and then it spreads to the other parts of Asia and North Africa, and then it spreads and blows up in Europe. And then it goes across the seas and it blows up in North America. And then South America, it blows up. The Muslim population in Latin America, South America is less than 0.1%. It's in Australia. It still hasn't made, the smallest dent is made is in China, in parts of Asia. Does this prove that Christianity is true? No. There's a, a theory in business, black swan theory. Back in the day, there was only white swans. And somebody said, you know what? Swans are only white. And then how do we prove that swans are only white? Here's what more simplistic minds would say. Well, every time they saw a white swan, they say, see, therefore, swans are only white. And they'd say, no, no, no. Seeing something that already confirms your bias does not prove that it's true. It just means you got another data point in your direction. With Christianity, that does not prove that it's true. Because here's what I think, and a lot of historians and a lot of people watching sort of the spread of religion would say, is the next big influx of Christians, the influence is going to be in China. It's going to put a dent there. Say Christianity goes into China and China becomes a largely Christian nation. Does that prove that it's true? Not necessarily. But it makes you go, huh. Uh, there's some credibility to this. It seems to have spread to every major continent, language, cultural background possible. Two reasons for credibility. But here's the third and the most important. Reason number three is the message has not changed the need has not changed. What was the original message of Easter? Let's read it on the screen here. This is the end of Luke, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, being the ladies, Mary, Martha, Joanna, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you this while he was still in Galilee. The first Easter message is a couple of women going to find their dead best friend and teacher. And he is gone. He is risen. And they go out and those women bring the first Easter message to any human ears ever. What happened that Easter? Jesus Christ was a Messiah, claimed to be Messiah, lived a perfect life, and for that he was placed on a Roman cross, as we talked about at the beginning. He was placed in a very real grave. Saturday he was dead, 
And at some point Sunday, he takes a breath and walks out, and the message begins to spread. Here's what I know about humans. We have sort of mastered death in a lot of ways. Like, it's not overly surprising, even the act of it. Like, I've seen one person pass, my grandma. I'm in there, my grandpa in hospice, and the nurses explain exactly what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen with her breath. Here's what's going to happen here. Here's what's going to happen here. And her last breath is going to be a lot of labor, and she'll go. And I remember, like, wow, what they said happened exactly like they said it would happen. Here's what was not waiting for Jesus in his tomb. Any professional saying, all right, here's how this is going to happen. Here's how a dead man takes his first breath after death. I've seen it before. It goes like this. Nobody knew what to expect, but at some moment, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, took a deep, confident, settled, human breath and started this whole thing called Christianity, and the revolution began. He is risen from the dead. That is the Easter message that is still here and has never changed, and the reason we need that message has not changed. Here's what everyone in this room needs. Questions to two questions. Answers to two questions we all have. It's why every religion exists. It's how do I live, and I might even add fully, how do I live life to the fullest? And here's the other one. How do I die? And I would add confidently. I don't know what your answers are. I talk to a lot of people who are okay with chintzy answers to those two questions, especially the second. Here's what that first message of Easter got out in the early church. Here's what they said. The God of our fathers has raised Jesus, whom you killed hanging him on a tree. Verse 31, here's the so what of what Jesus is now. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we now are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What is Jesus now that he has risen from the dead? I love the simplicity in verse 31. He is the leader. Who's your leader? Other words, when, that's, when that word is used in the New Testament, I love this. It's founder. Who founded all this? Other times it's author. Who is the author of all this? Who is the author of your life? Jesus Christ is the leader. He's the only one to be placed in his own grave and walk out of his own grave. He is the leader. And we gather each week to remind ourselves that he's our leader. But more than that, he is our savior. Meaning we all will face death one day. And we face death for the same reason Adam, our first father, faced it. Because we're all sinners. And sin entered through one man, Adam. And now sin has spread to every man. So now every man, every woman is a sinner. And by and large, we now receive sin and we die because of our sin. What is your hope on this Easter for facing death with any confidence? Those first people would say, I met a guy who predicted his own death and his resurrection. And he is the leader and the savior of the world. That's our hope, church. If you don't have that hope, very simply, the apostle Paul would give you this. Here's what he says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, your leader, Jesus, lead me. If you confess that, I want to follow you, Jesus. But then he goes on, comma, and if you believe in your heart. What do you have to believe in your heart? What do you have to believe? And if you believe that he was raised from the dead, then you will be safe. That's it. 
Every person who claims to be a Christian in this room, how it happened is that at some moment you said, I want to follow you, and I believe in my heart that you are the Savior of the world. Christians, amen? That's why we gather. Easter has not changed, will not change. We are waiting for the better Easter when he comes back to make all things new. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for church where we gather each Sunday with a repetitive message of a God who did mighty, miraculous, holy, righteous, good things through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a church that now lives in the banner of that truth and follows him as our leader and clings to him as our savior. And God, thank you for Easter where we get to really focus in on this message that is the center of all that we hope and believe to be true of this world of you and of us, that you as God did not leave us to ourselves when we started the rebellion, but you pursued us and you came towards us. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of your pursuit of us. And Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the ultimate picture of what our sin deserves. It's death and separation from you. And God, what none of us expected, none of us thought, none of us drew up in any boardroom or meeting The resurrection of Jesus Christ, God, turned death on its head and breathed life in this world, setting the stage for what will to come when heaven and earth will meet and we will live in our resurrected bodies with him who died and rose again. This is our truth, God. We claim it once again this Sunday. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.